you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. As we said earlier, we're in our second week of the series on Proverbs, and this week we're looking at friendship. So if you have a Bible or an app, I'd like you to open it to Proverbs 27. So we're going to be reading a couple of verses from Proverbs 27 and Proverbs 18. So Proverbs 27, the first one is verse 6. But first I'll pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that indeed your word is like a lamp that leads us. Father, we just pray that um, what we're reading today and the way in which Nick unpacks it, Lord, that it just um, plants deeply in us so that it's not just words and nice things, Lord, but it is something that you really uh, command and convict us uh, to be better friends. We commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So Proverbs 27, verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. And then in verse 9 of Proverbs 27. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. And verse 17, iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Now let's have a look at Proverbs 18, verse 1. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. And verse 24 of the same proverb. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. Thank you, Lisa. Good morning, City on a Hill. How are we doing? Good to be back with you. My name's Nick. If we haven't had the chance to meet before, I get the joy today and the privilege of unpacking some of those proverbs that were read, and there will be many more uh, as we dive into this series. Last week, we were very well introduced to the book of Proverbs and, and to wisdom and folly, uh, but that kind of now kickstarts this week. We start jumping into different topics and themes that Proverbs speaks to in particular, and the way Proverbs is um, kind of structured means that Ordinarily, while in a Bible, uh, in a passage, in a series, we would, we would open up kind of to a chapter and a verse and we'd stay there. This series is a little bit different, as we just saw with our Bible reading. We're going to be bouncing around Proverbs to draw out what it has to tell us about friendship. Next week, we're going to talk about wealth. Then we're going to talk about family. We're going to talk about words. We're going to talk about justice. A lot, whole lot of different topics. Today, we're going to talk about friendship. Uh, we heard last week that one of the ways Proverbs is, is kind of communicated to us is not that it's promises, do this, and this will definitely happen, but rather principles or probabilities. And so we're going to glean today, what are these principles in this collection of Proverbs to teach us about friendship? Uh, Lisa's prayed, we can't have too much prayer, I'm going to pray again, uh, and then we're going to dive in to this topic. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we thank you so much that such is your love for us. You haven't left life uh, for us to work it out on our own, but rather you've given us your wisdom 
in your word. And so may your word be for us today a lamp unto our feet, our feet, a light unto our path, leading and guiding us for what it means to live life with you, in you, uh, for you. And so would you bring us into clarity around true life and would you bring us where clarity resides and comes from to Jesus. Make Jesus big to us today. Help us see him and grow in trust for him. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, as we dive into uh, the, the topic of friendship, it is a very fitting topic to be looking at uh, because in our cultural moment, we have all this evidence to see and hear of the cost, the difficulty, the harm of a lack of friendship. It has been called uh, that we are currently living in an epidemic of loneliness. Uh, just a few weeks ago, I saw that there was a, a state of the social connections in Australia, a report into how those social connections are. It was released uh, and it found that almost one in three Australians feel lonely. Across every state, every demographic, every living situation, one in three Australians currently right now experiencing loneliness. And surprisingly, that is true. And even more the more true, the peak demographic experiencing loneliness was the one most likely to be digitally connected, 18 to 24-year-olds. And it's not just Australia. Uh, currently right now in the UK and now in Japan, there is a minister for loneliness that the government has commissioned. Their one job is to try to solve loneliness. Such is the impact it has upon the flourishing of communities, upon countries, and of course upon the economy as well. And this is so important, and the reason that governments are moving in this direction is because loneliness brings with it some incredible, incredible health risks. The lonely are 50% more at risk of dementia, twice as likely to have chronic disease, four and a half times more likely to have depression, over five times more likely to have poorer well-being. And so the health effects of a lack of friendship are the same as if you had smoked all your life, or that you were obese, or you have no physical activity. Perhaps you've heard before, but there's uh, been discovered in our world uh, what has been titled Blue Zones. Uh, there are five known blue zones around the world, and a blue zone is a place where there seems to be inexplicable greater levels of fulfillment, happiness, and even longer lives in these geographic areas around the world. And so if you are looking for a longer retirement, you should check out Okinawa in Japan, Sardinia in Italy, the Nicoya Peninsula in Costa Rica, Ikaria in Greece, or Loma Linda in California in the US. And it was discovered that uh, what contributes to these places uniquely having such good health incomes, uh, health outcomes, sorry, I should say, uh, was, amongst other things, this culture of strong social cohesion, social connectedness. To take Okinawa in Japan, for example, uh, there is a long tradition there of what's called moai. Uh, and moai is uh, essentially their version of gospel community. They have small social support groups in this place in, in Okinawa where, as a child, uh, children will be brought together into small groups of you know, five to ten kids 
And then that's, that's kind of it. That is your gospel community for the rest of your life. That is, that is your small group for your life. And, and so some of these Moai groups have lasted over 90 years as these people have done life together. And they're there to share life with one another. They're, they're meant to meet multiple times every week and, and over meals. Uh, they're there for the ups and the downs to share resources when one of the group is kind of having a, a down and out period. They're there to show mutual respect to one another, be vulnerable together. They're there to experience friendship. Friendship is forced on these people and they live longer. Now, as Christians, as people who read the Bible, it should be no surprise to us just how significant it is and how great the need is for us to have relationships, for us to have friendships. Because the God of the Bible, the God who was there before anything else was there, the God who was gloriously unmade and out of him everything that was made was made, that God exists in relationship. The God who has always been there and always will be is a God in relationship, in the relationship of the Trinity. And we're told at the very beginning of the Bible that after this God made us in his image, in Genesis chapter 2, the first man created there, Adam, even though he was surrounded by all these, these animals. He could have had great companionship from Chester, the dog, or, or whoever that, that w- was there. Even though he was with God himself, in the garden. And even though that God had said upon the creation of Adam and Eve, this is very good, there was something that wasn't good. It is not good for man to be alone. And of course, in a sense, that, that, that might be solved by marriage, but even more so, in a greater sense, it's about companionship. It's about having relationships, friendship. And so the healthy need for friendship and relationship is, is created into our being, built into the fabric of what it means to be human because we're made in the likeness of a God in relationship. How amazing is it then that we live in this time, an epidemic of loneliness, that we sense and feel and see how we've been made for something more, that this God in His generosity, in His grace, would not only come in the flesh to show us how to live life well, but leave with us His Word to get into the nitty-gritty of our lives and actually help us live with one another. Help us with the details of what it looks like to be connected to other people. Help us even on the level of making and keeping and being friends. And so we're going to dive into friendship Today We're going to look at, uh, explore a little bit further the, the need for friendship. Then we're going to talk about the how of friendship, how to be good friends. And then we're going to, that's going to lead us toward like the point of friendship. And so let's first talk about friendship being the necessary gift given to us. Maybe your experience with friendship was a lot like mine. I see it now again play out with my young children. Uh, but when you're young, you know, friendship, it just happens, doesn't it? Friendship is, is just out of nowhere created. I take my kids to the playground. It takes about 5.6 seconds, and my kids have found friends there on the playground. 8.2 seconds after having met Aria, my young daughter, will now call that friend her best friend. <laughs> and so she's creating new best friends 
every time. Never sees them again, but then she sees someone else and now suddenly has a new best friend. That's how friendship works when you're a kid. I remember when I was uh, halfway through prep, uh, about five and a half years old, uh, my family moved and so I had to move schools. And so I went on into my new school. I remember the first day at my new school and I remember at lunchtime, the bell rang, kids go out to play at lunch. I had no one to play with. And so as everyone left the classroom, I stayed by the door of the classroom and I sat there and I ate my lunch and I cried. And a small little violin played, played for me as, as, I, as I cried there. But uh, there was another kid who saw me crying and he said, hey, do you want to play? And I said, yes. And we were friends for the next seven years. You know, that's, that's how friendship works when you're a kid. On into high school, again, it continued to be easy. All my friends were just the younger brothers of my older brother's friends. It just, it, 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 we, we were just in the same place with one single connection and we became friends. And so when we're young, friendship, it, it, it's a very low bar. Any warm body will do. You, you just become friends as kids. But then something changes, doesn't it? Something switches uh, as you get older. That, that, that very low bar of friendship goes slowly and slowly, ever so highly. And we, we actually have a high bar of friendship. We don't, we don't want so much quantity of friends. We want quality of friends. We want to find people who we can actually do life with, real life. We want relationships of, of support, of similarity, of trust, of vulnerability, of depth. And yet we find ourselves in a pinch point as we get older because just as the bar for friendship goes up, so too the opportunity to find new friends goes down. And so it's a bit of a, a catch-22 because we're out of the rhythms of school and, and university life. We're into new rhythms with, with new pressures and commitments, and we're now busy in career or family or both. <clears throat> and so it's like the, the, the walls of our relational life start to close in and get smaller and smaller. And suddenly we can be in this state of experiencing very, very little friendship. Maybe to the point that, that we might notice it and... and, and attempt to kind of justify it, that we're busy, that we've got our colleagues, my spouse is my best friend, and we don't feel that need to pursue friendships. But just as the health statistics tell us, so too does the Bible. Because did you hear that first verse that was read out for us from Proverbs 18, 18 1, it said, "'Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire.'" He breaks out against all sound judgment. See, there's something necessary about friendship. You need friends, not just because the pragmatics, oh, it'll help you live a longer life, oh, you'll be, you'll be more healthy, oh, you'll be able to engage in, in conversation. No, there's something spiritually necessary about friendships. Something spiritually dangerous about carving out our life separate from other people. So it's not just busyness or logistics or we're so digitally connected that we don't have any kind of real physical friends. Proverbs says here that, that actually it might be our own hearts. It might be our own desire that's keeping us from giving of ourselves in the ways that creates friendships with other people. Our flesh, even the devil himself, wants to keep us isolated and keep us lonely. 
And so the first wise takeaway from the book of Proverbs on friendship is, is to just recognize our great need to be in relationship with people, our great need to have friends with us in our corner. Elsewhere, the book of Proverbs says later in chapter 18, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And so even in the ancient world, where far more than today, the ancient world prioritized family. Family was the center of society. Even they said, hey, you can actually find friends that are more impactful for you than even your biological family. It's easy to see why. Proverbs goes on. Chapter 17, verse 17. A friend loves at all times. A brother is born for adversity. Friends are there for support, for companionship. Then when we have friends, they, they, they double our joys and they halve our sorrows. Proverbs 27. Iron sharpens iron. One man sharpens another. Friends are necessary because they call us up and help us become who we're meant to be. But as Christians, we want, to, we want to grow into the image of Jesus, yet we can't do that. Sanctification is a community project. We're all working on each other together to sharpen each other, to be who we're called to be. And so you need friends. And so do you have these kinds of relationships in your life? That's the, the question that Proverbs asks us, that wisdom requires of us. Do you have these kinds of friendships in your life? People that are companions, people that are loyal to you, people that you trust and they trust you, people that shape and sharpen you. The stats tell us that at least a third of us here in this room don't experience that in our lives. And so the call of Proverbs, even in our modern, busy day and age, is for us if we're to do the wise thing, the wise thing is to intentionally seek out and pursue friendships like this. Because friendship is a gift to us, but it's a necessary gift. We need it. We need to find that gift. And so the first piece of wisdom is to pursue these kind of friendships, these, these moai, moai kind of friendships. Maybe they don't last as long as, as Okinawa there, but those relationships of support, care, respect, vulnerability, because the research tells us that, that we need it for our lives and the Bible tells us that we, we need it for our souls. We need it for our souls. Now, the answer to pursuing friends, finding those friends, don't hear me say, just, just, just go around and, and be that awkward person that's sidling up to people and say, hey, will you be my friend? C.S. Lewis famously said that friendship is born... At the moment when one person says to another, what? You too? I thought I was the only one. In other words, friendship is, is discovered. You, you, you just happen into it when you find common ground and you discover shared interests or, or, or common ground together. And so to pursue these kinds of friendships that are going to be life-giving to us, actually, where you find yourself right now in this church community it's actually the perfect place to find friendships like that, to discover, bump into friendships like that. Because as Christians, we have the most fundamental and deep common ground that we can have, that we worship the same God, that we view the world in the same way, we have uh, kind of the, the same instruction manual for life. 
We have the same vision for what we're doing here in this world and where God's taking us and calling us to be. And so let me encourage you that if you are one of those one in three who's needing those kind of friendships, is dive into the community of our church and find friends. As you go about living your Christian life amongst us, you're going to bump into people that you can become friends with here at our church. We would love to be that place for you where you find deep and lasting friendships of companionship, support, but also sanctification and growth. Now, once you've found friendship, it needs to be forged. It needs to be developed. The foundation is to find that common ground. But we need to start building upon that foundation and being and receiving good friendship. So let's talk about how to be good friends. What does Proverbs tell us about the specifics of friendship? Proverbs, you might know, tells us a lot about the type of characters we want to become, but also the type of characters we want to avoid. And part of the way that Proverbs talks about character is by pointing out the way that people respond to other people. Because our character is worn on our sleeve and it's observed as we observe how people are as friends, family, business partners. And so wisdom recognises that actually there are people who are bad friends. There might be people in your life right now who, who are connected to you, but they've got mixed motives. Proverbs 19 says, Wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. Some people come really close, but they come wanting things from you, not for you. And instead of just accruing relationships based on circumstances and clout, Proverbs prioritizes finding and choosing friends based on character. Proverbs 22, He who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king as his friend. Or the opposite, a warning. Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. And so the principle behind the principles of Proverbs is that it, it recognises something that can be assumed about all of us, that all of us kind of play in this game or, or, or all of us are impacted by the chameleon effect. That is that we as humans are so impressionable that we, we blend in like a, communion, uh, a chameleon into our social space. And so a, a more modern way to say it might be that, that we become like the five people we hang around most. That who is closest to us starts to shape us, our vision for life, our, our words and our speech. We see this physically, don't we? You know, you, have you ever noticed how, how contagious yawning is? Yawning is, is like the weirdest human phenomenon in, in the world, that you involuntarily just walk around and you just, you, you, your mouth just opens. It's, it's, it's a bizarre thing, isn't it? And then what's even more bizarre is that your mouth just opens and then you see someone's mouth open, your mouth involuntarily opens. Strange. But that doesn't just happen physically, it happens behaviourally or, or morally. Our moral compass is shaped by the people that we hang around. And so what Proverbs comes along and says, is, or what wisdom says is you need to be really careful, selective around who it is that is close to you because who they are is who you're becoming. We need to be careful with our friends, but it's not just about the other people. We need to be careful to be a good friend for the sake of others. And so what makes a good friend? 
Well, specifically, Proverbs tells us that a good friend is made up of, of at least four characteristics I could kind of draw out of the book of Proverbs. A good friend is, number one, uh, we need to be a confidant. Relationships are uh, fundamentally trust, built on trust. I, I know personally, one of the most significant leveling up moments of my life, and particularly my walk with Jesus, was a few years after high school, stepping into a church community where I was able to finally find friends, common ground, Christian mates. And we got on like a house on fire and we were able to kind of be an open book to one another because we trusted each other. And so we shared our hopes and dreams. We shared our fears and failures. We shared our sins and successes. We shared and helped with our temptations. It was all possible because of the level of trust that we had. But if you break that trust, if you aren't trustworthy, then you won't be able to be a good friend. You won't be able to experience that level of friendship. Proverbs 16, 28 says, A dishonest man spreads strife and a whisperer separates close friends. Similar verse elsewhere in 17.9, Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. See, being a good friend means that you can be trusted with someone else's vulnerability. That you can listen to what they're telling you without scoffing. You can be there for them, hearing them kind of pour out on you what's going on within them without thinking, oh, I cannot wait to tell someone else about what I just heard. And even there in that, that second one, it, it means not going on about a thing, not continuing to, to bring something up, repeating a matter and, and trying to go after it, but knowing when to just listen, to be a confidant. And when you build that trust as a confidant, number two, it helps you be a counsellor. Because when you're a trustworthy friend who can listen, you also get invited to be a trustworthy friend who can contribute and who can speak. And so Proverbs 27 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. And so those young men that I became friends with and, and still am, uh, who I found confidence in, you know, we used to have this thing where because we, we, we one day happened upon this verse, it became part of our language. And so we would tell each other, hey, mate, I, I've got a wound for you. And so we'd, we'd start wounding each other uh, about the way we were, we were treating young women, uh, the way we were speaking, uh, the, the way we behaved at, at social events, all, all these kind of things. We, we, would, we would wound each other. And it was code for, hey, I love you, but, but you need to be better at this. And so we're, we're, we're sharpening each other by being a counsellor to one another correcting each other in love. Another proverb that was read out for us in our, in our Bible reading says, Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. What it's saying is that, that one of the best fringe benefits of friendship is the counsel. Commentators point out about this verse that you know, sugar hadn't yet been a thing that would be added to food by the point that Proverbs was written. And so sweetness was, was discovered. It was, it was happened upon when you, when you bit into the mango or the grape or whatever, whatever it is. You discover that, oh, this is, this is sweet. And in a similar way that when we're friends that give good counsel, advice, guidance, encouragement, maybe rebuke, it's that counsel where the sweet part of friendship is found and tasted. 
And so to be a good friend, we need to be a confidant and be a counsellor. But then God gets even more detailed. And he gets into the, 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 the actual the relational dynamics between you and, a, and another person. Number three, we need to be considerate. Michael shared the verse last week, let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. You know those people, don't you? They, they, they overstay their welcome. People who are good friends recognize boundaries. A good friend isn't another dependent, but someone who honors those boundaries of where their personhood ends and yours begins. With autonomy in decision-making, freedom to make a dumb choice, knowing what the context calls for. And we also need to be considerate when it comes to boundaries of, of, of how people are going, particularly emotionally. Proverbs 25 says, Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. And so God himself is, is telling us, hey, you need to read the room. Like, like sometimes it's too, you're too much. You need, you need to pipe it down. We need to recognize with emotional intelligence where people are that we're talking with are at and respond accordingly. And so a good friend is considerate to that, puts the other person's needs before your own. And this leads to number four. What makes a good friend is to be close because part of being a good friend is to actually be physically present. That if you never actually do get in the same room to catch up, there's a point where the friendship is going to be impacted. And it is the irony of our modern relational age, isn't it? That I have over 1,500 friends on Facebook, somewhere around there. And yet, hardly any of them are with me, physically close. Because we know, and we of all people know, who have endured you know, government-legislated separation during COVID, we know. Nothing, there is no substitute for physical proximity. There is no, nothing, there is no substitute for, for other warm bodies in the room, that it makes a difference to our life and our quality of life. And Proverbs agrees. And it says in chapter 27, Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend, and do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. What it's saying is that when that inevitable moment of need comes, when that calamity comes, don't rush off from, from everyone you're physically around to your family that's overseas. No, the people who matter are the people who are there. The, the people with the, the shoulder to cry on, the, the, the people with the arm to put around you. But we need to be physically close. So to be a good friend, Proverbs tells us, wisdom tells us, we need to be a confidant, be a counsellor, be considerate and be close. Run those through the grid of your, the quality of your friendships. Run those through the grid of, of the quality of your character toward other people. And when we run our own lives and our own character through that grid, herein lies the problem of friendship. Because we struggle to find friends like this, and so we settle for acquaintances. We struggle to be friends like this. And so we settle for, for kind of like friend-ish commitment to people. We don't want to open up our lives or commit ourselves to people like that. 
or relationships that are that demanding or costly. And so this is why friendship, the the frustrations of it, the, the failures of it, along with that created, inbuilt need and, and desire for it, it's actually, it, it's driving us somewhere. It's, it's pointing us somewhere. The, the wisdom concerning friendship in Proverbs, like every book of the Bible, it's pointing us towards someone. And so let's talk about him, the true and best friend. The reason that you and I were made for a relationship, the reason it's built into the fabric of our very souls and our, our being is because you and I were made to have a relationship with the God who made us. See, some of us might see or hear this, this vision of friendship and we lament. We lament, we lament perhaps the, the lack of our experience of friendships like this, faithful, lasting, loyal. Or we lament that we haven't been in a place or a life stage or the environment where we've been able to find this or cultivate these kind of friendships. You know, that, that longing for faithful, loyal, trusted friendship. It's a longing that exists because there really is a friend out there who can fulfill it. If if we find within ourselves desires for which nothing here will satisfy, maybe it's because we were made for something more, something else, someone else. That sense of our own failure at being a good friend or the failure of others Maybe it's led to the sting of betrayal or distrust or frayed friendships. What happens? Because by nature and by choice, we've fallen out of relationship with the God who made us. That when we have a frayed relationship with Him, we have to put ourselves at the center of all of our relationships and and feed off that. Something that was never meant to feed us and never meant to fulfill us. And so we can never be the people that we know that we ought to be. And so when reading about friendship in Proverbs, we're reading something that, that, that should strike us as, hey, hey, this really needs to be fixed. This really needs to be redeemed in my life and in our world. And so this is why the good news of Jesus is amazing. The good news of Christianity is not just that, that, that God wants to beam you up from this world, and put you in eternity. Not just that he, that he wants to resolve the spiritual angst that you feel every now and then. And the good news of Christianity has actually come into this world and into the nitty gritty, into the, the guts of our life and our human experience to redeem even the things that, that we feel when we lay our head down on the pillow at night, the, 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 the gasping for something better that we feel within us. In John 15, Jesus said to his disciples, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And so Jesus starts talking about using the language of friendship, his own relationship to his people. Yes, he lived as a man. Yes, he had friends. He had dozens of people who followed him. He had 12 that he'd set apart. Within that, he had three trusted who were kind of the invite to the transfiguration, who were there for everything. But Jesus now also invites the whole world to come and be his friend. And Jesus has proven 
to us the kind of friend that he will be, that he's a trusted confidant who invites us even as he knows all of our sin, all of our darkness, everything we ever thought, done, our attitudes, our behaviors, and yet Jesus loves us still. Jesus has shown us to be the great counselor who not only leaves us with his own word, but with his Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ himself, that he might guide us and instruct us, advise us and help us walk in his wisdom. Jesus has has considered us, even though he had, had all the pressures of the world, even the wrath of God bearing down upon him, considers us in our sin and in our suffering. And he comes to us and he calls us, hey, I'm gentle and lowly in heart. Come to me. Even though he knew what was to come for him on the cross, he says, for you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Jesus is the kind of friend who's never going to raise his eyebrows at us at something we tell him. The kind of friend who who never mocks or, or scoffs at us. There is nothing that you can do that will make Jesus leave you on red. Nothing that you can do that will make Jesus step back and kind of bristle in a fence. Nothing that you can do that's going to have even a a millisecond of regret or doubt about what he should have done for you. And Jesus has come close to us, taking on flesh, renouncing even the glories of heaven that he might come and dwell with us before ultimately laying down his flesh for us on the cross. And so Jesus is is a confidant. He's a counselor. He's considerate and he's close. And so where you have failed as a friend, Jesus has succeeded as a friend in your place. And where you need a friend, Jesus can be that friend for you, even as he calls you to continue. Go on into the world, make friends. You need it. He is all of that for us because he's come to live, die, and rise again so that we might have friendship with him and with God himself. In a couple of verses after he says he's going to lay down his life, he says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. What makes us not mere servants, but friends with Jesus? Well, it's listening to Jesus and, and hearing from him what he has come to do. That is, we don't need to jump through hoops. We don't need to pass the test. We just need to have him tell us, make known to us what he's come to do. That he's lived, that he's died, that he's risen again. And when we become friends with Jesus, when we put our trust in Jesus, no no longer do we need to sabotage our own friendships by putting ourselves at the center of them. No longer do we need to ask of our friends something that they weren't created to give us. Meaning, status, fulfillment. No longer do we need to push ourselves upon people and ignore boundaries. No longer do we need to isolate ourselves. Rather, we can find true friendship. We can find wise friendship when we come to be friends with Jesus. Because we're freed to be who he calls us to be. Because we're empowered by him. And so actually the only way that we can live out true friendship, wise friendship from the book of Proverbs is to look to God and to become friends with Jesus.
He tells us that though by nature we are children of wrath, though by nature we are enemies of God, He has come that we might become friends with God. And so I know that research also suggests, in talking about friendship, you know, one, of the, one of the stickiest things, weightiest things that creates social cohesion, connectedness, is sharing meals together. And we know that when Jesus came in the flesh, He did exactly that. He, he broke bread, he, he shared meals with his friends and he did it, you might know, on, on one of the most significant occasions, the night that he was betrayed, he shared a significant meal, the Passover meal and yet he flipped that Passover on its head by saying, hey, this isn't about something that's happened in the past, this is about something that's about to happen right now. I am going to give of my body, I am going to pour out my blood in the place of sinners. So we're going to share in that meal today as a, a fitting moment as we think about our own social fabric and connection. We get to also enjoy the fruit of sharing a meal together by sharing a meal with one another and with Jesus in communion. And the Lord's Supper reminds us that God came in the flesh. This is why God hasn't just given us our, His Word for our minds to be simulated. He's given us the bread. He's given us the wine, or, or in this case, juice, that, that, that even our taste buds, that even our, our physical bodies would experience something of what was and is the redemption of Jesus for us. And Paul says about communion in 1 Corinthians that, you know, if we take it while we have a frayed relationship with God, and even more than that, if we take it while we have a frayed relationship with, with other people in the church body, actually that is what he calls taking it in an unworthy manner. And so maybe communion this morning is for you a moment to rekindle that relationship with God and even perhaps even now that relationship with others around you. Communion is for us, again, a, a recommitment, reminding us that, hey, we're saved by grace and it's about God's commitment to us ultimately, Him laying down His life for us. And yet we come to the communion table also recommitting ourselves we're going to center Jesus in our lives. We're going to receive his grace and run with it, exercise it, live it out in our lives as we live life for Jesus. And so that means that communion is a, a family meal. So if you're here and you're not yet someone who's trusting in Jesus, someone who's friends with Jesus, let me encourage you just to, just to observe what we Christians do uh, here at church. But it also means there's an opportunity for you because maybe today is the day you want to put your trust in Jesus and become friends with Jesus, then you're welcome to come and join us in partaking of communion today. Uh, we thought this week, fittingly, given the topic, uh, we might take communion together in small groups. So there's going to be uh, a couple of stations at the back and the front. Uh, so I'm going to invite you in a moment after I've prayed uh, to, uh, in an orderly way, uh, as we can, uh, find the aisle and then there'll be ushers who'll be able to uh, kind of invite small groups up to partake it together. Uh, but I'm going to pray uh, and then I'm going to lead us in communion together. So would you pray with me, church? Uh, gracious God, we, we thank you for the gift of how you've made us with the need for friendship and relationship. Lord, we thank you that you've, you've made us that way because you are that way, a God in relationship with yourself. And so, Lord, I pray that, that you might be with us today. And particularly, Lord, I pray uh, for that one third. Maybe it's more, maybe it's less here amongst us. Lord, we pray for everybody in this room who feels that loneliness, 
that heaviness of isolation. God, I pray that, that you might help our church fulfill that need of the gift of friendship in each one of our lives. Lord, would you help us be people who put ourselves out there and live our lives as, as an open book, asking for counsel, putting our confidence in other people to help us, being considerate and, and being close. And Lord, would you help our church be a place that others might look at it and, and see amongst us healthy, vibrant, wise, flourishing friendship and community. And as we pray for that, Lord, we, we do know that we fall short of being able to be that ourselves. And so, Lord, would you forgive us for our sin? Would you forgive us for the ways by nature we put ourselves before others? We seek our own comforts before the giving and generosity toward others. Forgive us for falling short of the vision that you have here in your scriptures of friendship. And so we throw ourselves again upon the mercy and the righteousness of Jesus. And as we come to his table, as we share a meal together and with you, we come not trusting in our own righteousness, not trusting in our own character, Lord, but purely in your mercy. Lord, we thank you that by your body and your blood, you have redeemed us and called us out of our sin and transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your beloved Son. Help us enjoy that reality as we partake of these gifts. Help us be united as your body and your Holy Spirit as we partake together. And help us go from this place recommitted to you and recommitted to being the people that you call us to be, empowered by your grace and the freedom that your grace gives us to not focus on our failure, but focus on becoming who you want us to be. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.